All right, here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. Just after 8 o'clock, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is uh, out of line. We are here live every Sunday morning on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM and 1340 in flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you live from Spencer's studio, also known as the Wisden, because as you know, as we say every week going on two years now, the pandemic has forced us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show is the show's social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, that's right. The Wiz not only has his own studio, but he has his own theme music as well. And social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Corp Studios producer, Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, excuse me, on Facebook and Drive, Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. And uh, whether you're purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. The $2,500 can be used for closing costs or to buy down your interest rate. Call 702-964-5720. And on tap today, we've got a, we definitely have a good one. Um, All-Star Weekend, literally, I don't know that a town has ever, or a city has ever hosted Two all-star games in back-to-back days, but Las Vegas is this weekend. Yesterday, the NHL all-star game. Today, the NFL Pro Bowl at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, Pretty darn cool, man. You don't see that too often, but we are going to see that here today. We're also going to talk some UNLV basketball after two big wins. Uh, they go on the road and completely were flat yesterday against Utah State other than Bryce Hamilton. Uh, the team looked like a completely different team that just got done beating uh, Reno and Colorado State on the road. We'll talk about that. Also, head coaches in the National Football League. That is going to be a subject today. Obviously, Brian Flores will come up. And um, last week's conference championship games, uh, we'll talk about those as well because the last couple of weeks of football have been nothing short of spectacular. If you've been watching this game for a long time as I have, I don't think we've ever seen back-to-back weekends of playoff football as good as the last couple weekends. We'll talk about that. And Spencer's going to do an early edition of Aces Up as the Las Vegas Aces made a change or will be making a change. It's verbal right now, but we should probably hear the finality of that change coming up later on today. We'll talk about that on the show as well. That is what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighbor at a time. And right now, again, Residential Bank Corp offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs or to buy down your interest rate. And that is for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home purchase financing program in the state, call 702-964-5720. 
for details. And, uh, man, how you doing, Spencer? Uh, back in studio this week, uh, feeling good. We were back in last week. I'm tired, man. I just got done doing Heat Wave Sports for two hours last night with Tommy Barton and Tim Unglesby. Had a great time doing it, but uh, that leaves for less sleep tonight, man, so I'm tired. Well, yeah, you can't say that we're not committed. I leave my house at 6 a.m. in the morning to do prep for the show. So I'm anybody who's listening knows that uh, this show is extremely important to the two of us. And obviously, we're here every week and we do what it takes to make this thing work. And so anyway, um, Spencer, you know, big big games in, in, in Vegas. Now, I know these games aren't big for the season itself and sometimes players don't even like playing them because you risk injury but um the only real all-star game i've ever been a huge fan of is is the major league baseball all-star game watch it every year next to opening day in the postseason there's nothing more than i like than the all-star game the other sports not so much you don't see very much defense but what makes the nhl all-star game so intriguing is the three on three so let's go ahead, let's 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 hit nightcap because it was pretty exciting and uh, a trio of Vegas Golden Knights in the game. Well, the one thing I wanted to say before, because you know you probably have a lot more to say about the All Star Game than me, is like context is king. When the Vegas Golden Knights were announced to be coming, you know, to come to Vegas, the first thing everybody said was, "Is this even a sports town? Will a sports team work here?" And now, I mean, sports are flocking here, so I, I think that's pretty cool. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Jonathan Marcheseau, uh, Cabo San Lucas on Friday. And back at T-Mobile Arena, one phone call on Saturday, scoring a goal and getting assist in his first ever All-Star game. So cool for a guy that wasn't drafted, spent a lot of years uh, just uh, trying to make it to the NHL and has not only made a name for himself with the Vegas Golden Knights and one of the originals and one of the misfits, but the guy leads the team all-time in scoring. You know, uh, it just just in games played. I mean, this guy has been, and you know, as much as we have said over the years that that Mark Andre Fleury is the face of the Golden Knights and really established the face, and William Carlson that magical season, forty three goals in in the inaugural year. But Jonathan Marcheseau, to me, is as much the face of the Vegas Golden Knights as any player on this team. And it was so cool to see him make this all-star team at the last moment. And then they even announced him last to give the fans a chance to really show their appreciation for him. Mags, you got to admit, it was pretty cool hearing Marchie's name called and, uh, and knowing that he ended up getting the call at the last minute to play on this team. Yeah, he he actually told us Friday night that he, he was actually in the, in the uh, cab in Cabo when he got the phone call. It was Kelly McCrimmon who who made the call, and um, he said, you know, ultimately it was his decision, but his family fully supported him returning back to Vegas for the All-Star game. He spent two days in Cabo with the family. Um, you know, the, the the one thing I really got a lot out of, not only Marcia so, but a lot of the other guys, is the, the enjoyment they get out of bringing their children to, to events like this, and Alex Petrangelo had mentioned it. You know, he said, look, his kids are, are, are a little small when when uh, 
Steve Stamkos came to talk to the the media yesterday. Of course, the star for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He had his his son, who was really intrigued with the Zamboni. Didn't want to talk to the media much. His kid wanted to go see the Zambonis. But uh, Marsha so really, he, he lit up talking about his kids and, and the experience that this was for, for them. And he really wanted to do this for them. And he mentioned that, you know, they, they had their picture with Connor McDavid. So for, for his kids, it's a memory that they will always cherish. And, you know, the funny thing about the NHL All-Star game, Brian, is there were 21 first-time players in this year's All-Star game, which is not a record, but it's it's one of the highest ever. And what I notice about the NHL All-Star game is when you look, like, in the NBA, LeBron James could have an off-season, and he's going to be a starter in the All-Star game. It's just the way it works. There's a lot of superstars across the league who did not participate in this All-Star game. Sidney Crosby, one of those guys. Not there. Uh, Mika Zibanejad, obviously, he he pulled out for personal reasons or, or injury reasons. I'm not sure. Uh, Ovechkin missed due to COVID. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys who get there and don't go back. So, for for a guy like Jonathan Marshall, so as you mentioned, he, he spent a ton of time in the AHL. Um, I know he bounced around to a couple teams. He was with the, in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization. He was with the Florida Panthers for a while. Comes to Vegas, found a home here. And, you know, I, I asked him if it, if he kind of felt like this was an accomplishment for him, Riley, and William Carlson. And he, he said, you know, look, there's, there's not a lot of original misfits left, but it's really cool to have a misfit playing in the All-Star game in Las Vegas. And the opportunity to start the game, you know, he, he, he joked about Tom Wilson scoring that goal and he was afraid he was going to hit him. Uh, of course, uh, if people remember, there was an incident in game one of the Stanley Cup final. Maybe it was game two where Tom Wilson took a run at Jonathan Marcheseau. But I think, you know, Marcheseau was obviously joking and he had a good time. But the opportunity to start an all-star game on your home ice in front of your home fans, I don't think it's something that that Jonathan Marcheseau will ever forget. And and I think it's really an inspiration to those of us who maybe don't part, you know, we're not athletes, but just the power of hard work and having a, a, a strong desire to be successful, not only in, in your home life, but your, your professional life as well. And Marsha so really exemplifies that because he is the, the perfect guy to point to and say, Hey, look, you can work your ass off. And if you aren't determined enough, and if you have enough desire and you have enough fight and yeah, you probably need some, some luck and some breaks to go your way as well. You can be successful in your chosen field. And Jonathan Marcheseau, I mean, he's having a career year. He may end up with with 40 goals. You, you, you know, he's 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 right around that mark where he's he should break 30. So he's probably going to end up between 30 and 40 goals, which is pretty amazing considering the road and the path that Jonathan Marcheseau has taken to get here. No, I, I, I couldn't have said it better, Chris. Uh, I, you know, so proud of the guy, and, and, and you can see his appreciation for the game of hockey. He works so hard, five foot nine, but for five nine, he's as tough of a five nine as you're going to find in the National Hockey League. Never shies away from contact, actually looks for it and initiates it at times. Second leading scorer as far as points go on the Golden Knights this year behind Chandler Stevenson, but he leads the team in goals with 20, and it was 
was really nice to see. I got to admit, a little bit surprised about Mark Stone being there. Uh, you know, he has only played in 27 games. You know, he does have 28 points in those 28, 27 games, so that looks good. Eight goals in the season. Uh, you know, Mark Stone, a name in the National Hockey League. It was nice to see him there. It was nice at the end of the game to see that they put all three Golden Knights on the ice time it was nice to see them you know two of them get goals mark stone got one as well and of course you know mark stone with the uh, with the goal and an assist and if alex petrangelo you know deserves to be there his third all-star game and uh, you know one of the best two-way defensemen in the national hockey league so it was really good to see there but a lot of fun what a great environment what a great experience for all of us that went and saw it and as i was saying earlier chris you know I, I, I love the baseball all-star game because not, you know, they used to be incentivized. They finally took it away for what where the winning team hosts the world series. You know, they're still incentivized a bit monetarily, but in baseball, everyone shows their wear. They're only out there for a few innings. The pitchers try defensively guys die for fly balls like they would in regular games. And typically in the other all-star games, you're not going to see people making that kind of an effort. Nobody wants to get hurt and end their season or maybe their career at an all-star game. So, you know, and you, once, once a long time ago, Pete Rose ended pretty much ended Ray Fossey's career in an all-star game, and nobody wants to ever see that happen. But the NHL, has, to me now, is my second favorite all-star game. It used to be the NBA, but with the three-on-three format, the, the, the two games to get to the championship game, it's like a little mini tournament within itself, really makes it kind of appealing. And again, nothing is better than three-on-three hockey, Chris, because you know we appreciate, anyone that's ever played the game, appreciate how skilled these guys are on skates. Matter of fact, some of them, I think, are more comfortable on skates than they are on their feet. They're so damn good. But you really get to see the talent and the skill level of these guys in three-on-three hockey. And you also get to see the goaltenders, you know, get put up against it on a regular basis. And boy, did we see some good saves as well. It just really was entertaining. But that three-on-three format, man, I love it in overtime, and I love it in the All-Star game. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, obviously, not a whole lot of defense being played in in, in the three on three All Star game. No, uh, no penalties called either, which I I, I don't think is a shock. But um, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun, and and I think you know what what I noticed is that the tempo got turned up as the game went on. Uh, you know, I I think there's maybe a disadvantage to playing that first game because even though you're going to get a longer break going into the second game. I think it, you kind of have to feel the other team out a little bit, and and you're going to play with guys you're not used to playing with. Um, you know, obviously that was a little bit not the case on the on the first shift for the Pacific Division yesterday. But uh, you know, Pete DeBoer was was in real jovial spirits yesterday after the game. But yeah, I I've always been partial to the Major League Baseball All Star Game because I think growing up as a kid, I mean, you and I are both of the age where baseball was was still uh, the king of sports and the NFL was still not at that. Not, it wasn't obviously at the level it is today. Um, the NBA was still, I mean, when, when I was little, 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 like I don't remember being little, but I, I know they used to show the NBA finals on tape delay. So, I mean, I was alive for that and to, and to see the, the juggernaut that the NFL and the NBA have turned into. But at the time when I was growing up, it was all about the major league baseball all-star game. It was in the summer. It was perfect for kids. You could stay up late, especially, you know, you and I being an East Coast time. You know, we were able to stay up until later than normal watching the game with our dads and, 
You know, we'd we'd go out in the yard and we'd pretend to be the 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 you know whoever was the star of that day. Me, I was always Lenny Dykstra, despite the fact that he turned out to be not such a great human being. Uh, when when you're a kid and he's playing for the Mets, you don't you don't know that, but um, you know you, 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 it, it's it's just special. And I think we've got the Pro Bowl here, and I don't really feel like the Pro Bowl has ever really had the luster of some of the other sports. And and I can tell you. I don't understand, and maybe the NFL just doesn't care, but when you look at what the NHL did this week with the All-Star game, they had the, the, the fanfare, they had the skills competition Friday night. The NFL doesn't bring any of that. There's no fanfare for the NFL, and maybe they save it up for next week with the Super Bowl. But with the Super Bowl being in Los Angeles, you would think that the NFL would have had some kind of traveling road show in Vegas to promote the Pro Bowl. I mean, the the other thing is tickets for, for the NHL All-Star game were actually more expensive than tickets for the Pro Bowl. Nobody wants to go to the Pro Bowl, and it's not that I, 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 I didn't, I'm not going. I would go, but I, I, it wasn't something that jumped out and said, oh, my God, I have to go to the Pro Bowl. Now I think if it comes back, I probably would like to go just because I could say, hey, look, I've been to an NBA All-Star game. Now I've been to an NHL. I'd kind of like to check out a Major League Baseball. And then, you know, Pro Bowl would, would be kind of cool, too. Oh, and I could add, I've been to a WNBA All-Star game as well. It, yeah, here in Vegas, uh, we, we just saw that last year. I guess I can add that, too. I didn't think about it. I have seen, I saw, I think it was in 05, the uh, the All-Star game at Comerica Park. I flew home for that, and that was really, really, really cool. The one before that in Detroit was in 1970, I think it was 71, at Tiger Stadium. Reggie Jackson still, what what is still the longest home run in All-Star game history, was hitting that game. Um, matter of fact, I think Four or five um, Hall of Famers hit a home run in that game. Um, I was extremely young and didn't go to the game, but um, it, it, th- those are incredible. And what I think we like about the Major League Baseball also game, on top of the fact that everyone really tries, it's cool to see everyone wears their own uniform. You know, during the skills competition, or I should say the home run derby, you know, they wear a, a National or American League jersey, but during the during the game itself, they wear their own jerseys, and I love that in football, even though it's my least favorite game I still like that they all wear their own helmets and I felt in hockey you just had you're only representing your team on one of your sleeves of your sweater I would have preferred everyone in the NHL to wear their own helmets you're not going to miss you know miss people by wearing their own helmets and I wish they would have let them since helmets are now required and have been for a while in the National Hockey League that would make it a little bit more cool but I still really I still really like that as well um and uh, you know just just a good feel as you said Chris but yeah the NFL All-Star game what makes it's so unappealing is all the rules i mean defensive players might as well not even play in the game they might as well just stand still and and maybe have them cover the receivers or something which is basically what happens uh nobody wants to get hurt and football is the one game you can see that the most in, in in the pro bowl but it is still cool vegas who would have thought 10 years ago not only would vegas have two professional teams and be eyeing a third in, a, in another league but hosting both all-star games basically at the same time on the same weekend. I just think it was really cool. Real quick, moving on with the Vegas Golden Knights, Chris. You know, they accomplished what they needed to. They finished the first half of the season in first with 57 points, a record of 27-16-3. They're two points ahead of the L.A. Kings and the Anaheim Ducks in the Eastern Conference 
they would be the eighth seed. I know you said they can't help the conference that they're in or who they play, but they can help their record. I mean, you got to beat who you play. And like I said, it is scary to think that they would be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. And again, the Pacific Conference All-Stars bowed out in the first round, which I think most people expected. But here we go. We're getting ready for the second half of the season. At some point, Jack Eichel will return. This team, you know, the, hopefully will all be healthy, out of protocols at the right time, heading towards the playoff. But realistically, Chris, what you saw in the first half of the season is it enough to make you think the Golden Knights are a serious contender for the Stanley Cup this year? Well, it's definitely not an, an, an original thought on, on my part when I say it. But for this team, the regular season doesn't matter. What matters is getting into the playoffs fully healthy. They're going to make the playoffs. I mean, barring something catastrophic, they're not gonna they're they're not gonna finish behind two other teams or three other teams in the division and miss out. That's not going to happen. These guys will work in the second half to get everything in order for that run because with the moves that this team has made, trading away some 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 fan favorites, acquiring new fan favorites, re-signing guys like Braden McNabb, which, by the way, I, I, I will take a victory lap on that one because I did say that the team would find a way to re-sign Braden McNabb because he's way too valuable to this organization to let walk away in free agency. So we could probably cross his name off the list of guys who will potentially be moved at the trade deadline. I think there's another defenseman who could be on the way out. I'm not going to say who, but I, I will say this. What matters now is getting into the playoffs healthy, getting the right combination of players together, because, honestly, I have no idea what this lineup is going to look like with Jack Eichel in the mix. Is Chandler Stevenson going to get bumped down to the third line and you move Nick Waugh to the fourth line? I don't know if you want Nick Waugh playing on the fourth line because he's been way too valuable and way too good for this team. Do you break up the misfit line? Is that something that could happen? If Riley Smith is traded all of a sudden, you don't necessarily need to keep William Carlson and Jonathan Marcheseau together. In fact, I would say maybe, just maybe, you move William Carlson down to the third line and have him play with Matthias Yanmark and Nick Waugh, and you set up a really good defensive third line that will shut down other teams' top lines on a nightly basis. That would be their job. I don't know. I, I mean, Pete DeBoer has a lot of weapons at his disposal. He's sitting on an arsenal of, of potential, which is a good thing, and it could be a scary thing because sometimes potential goes, you know, un, unrealized. But I don't think that's the case. Jack Eichel, for all the great things he's done in his career, and you could look at his numbers, he's been phenomenal in his, in his career. I mean, every season playing for a terrible, terrible team in the Buffalo Sabres, he's never been in the playoffs. He's never made the playoffs. So for Jack Eichel, this is an opportunity to come in to an organization that's not a, not one of those teams. Like, like I'm, I grew up a New Jersey Devil fan, and a couple years ago, the Devils snuck into the playoffs. They were the eighth seed. They got demolished by the Tampa Bay Lightning. They had no chance. This isn't Jack Eichel playing on a team that sneaks into the playoffs. This is Jack Eichel coming to a team that has a real opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. 
it's the hardest trophy in sports to win. I'm convinced of that because unlike the NBA, you have teams that are six, seven seeds, and they're legitimate threats year in, year out to win the championship. It's tough. It's not going to be easy, and it's going to be a really difficult road to go through because I think the Colorado Avalanche, they're they're making themselves known that they are going to be the team to beat in the Western Conference. And that Central Division, there's some really good teams in that division. The St. Louis Blues, Minnesota Wilder are a real sneaky good team. I got to watch a lot of Kirill Kaprizov this weekend. First of all, he he is a super talented player. But man, the, the Cam Talbot is a really good goalie. That's a team that I know Vegas played last year. They went to seven games. I do not want to have to play that team in the playoffs because I think they've got the right mix of coaching. They've got the right combination of players. Fiala has been phenomenal for them. But for the Golden Knights, it all comes down to the playoffs, Brian. If they don't win the Stanley Cup this season, we'll feel like a failure for this organization. And I don't want to say cup or bust because they still have a small window. I think there's a window after this. But it becomes a whole lot harder if you don't win in the next one or two seasons with this team. Yeah, I would agree with you, Chris. I think that, that they have been gearing this team up, building it, reshaping it. You know, Pete DeBoer, you know, again, initially, Gerard Gallant, it was an unpopular move because he was such a popular initial coach here. But every move that has been made, I think, has been the, for the betterment of this team, and I believe that. But, you know, it is going to come down to the playoffs, and when it's all said and done, it's also going to come down to goaltending. And, we're you know, there's a lot of naysayers about Robin Leonard. We talk, we've talked about it uh, the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to beat this this horse into the Elmer Glue factory, but uh, it is going to be important for Robin Leonard to step up. And, Chris, I'll tell you what, these next four games to me are extremely important for the Vegas Golden Knights. They go on the road Tuesday for back-to-back games in Canada against the uh, Edmonton Oilers and, and Calgary Flames, uh, two teams that can be scary, uh, that, that are somewhat in the mix. But then you come back, you know, a week from Wednesday, you get a week off and you got to come back and host the Colorado Avalanche and turn around and, and face a team that's right on your heels in your division in the L.A. Kings. This four-game stretch after the little all-star game layoff to me, Chris, is really important for this team to get the second half of the season off to a really good start. And I think it's a great test for him right off the get-go, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers on Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. and and it's funny because I, I, I got to talk to Connor McDavid yesterday. I only got to ask him one question, but I basically asked him, hey, look, you know, you're you're playing Vegas on Tuesday night. You were teammates with three of them today and coached by Pete DeBoer today. Are, are you really able to enjoy the, the, the festivities of the All-Star experience? And he said, yeah. He goes, of course. He goes, you know, but we'll worry about Vegas now because we're, we're heading back home. You know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. That's not his exact quote. But he was basically saying, hey, look, you know what? I'm able and we're able to separate the fun from the business aspect of it. This is a fun experience for us. We go back to Edmonton. Now the now we, we start to take care of the business end of it. It's going to be a really important, I think, series. And I say series because you're playing the two Alberta teams. These are the two teams that I feel are the biggest threat to the Golden Knights in the Pacific. I don't know if they both make the playoffs. I think they both do because Edmonton seems to be rejuvenated. 
I mean, it took a, a confrontation with the reporter up in Edmonton to kind of to kind of uh, get things going back in the right direction. I still don't trust their goaltending. Maybe that's a team that trades for a familiar face, shall I say? Um, you know, they, they're going to have to do something because the 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 combination of um, uh, of Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen, I just don't think is good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Calgary is a team that scares me because they're loaded in a lot of places. Jacob Markstrom is, is I think, one of the most underrated goalies in the NHL. I know Vancouver was willing to let him go for Thatcher Demko, and we saw why yesterday. Demko, of course, being an all-star for the first time, and, and you know, he's a name that obviously Vegas fans became familiar with in the bubble because he played outstanding in that series. But Calgary's got a lot of really good players, too. Johnny Goudreau, uh, the, uh, they got Kachuk. They're just really good defensively. They're well-coached. They're a scary, scary team to play. And if they get hot, they're a team that I think could challenge Vegas in the Pacific. I don't know if they will. But, Brian, that is a team that we really need to keep an eye on because I think they're really dangerous. They're kind of like that. They don't look – well, no, no, I take that back. They look dangerous because they are dangerous. And that's a team that that I think you're really going to have to challenge because I, I think on paper a fully healthy Vegas is better. But in the playoffs, anything is possible. And that's a team that that's very, very dangerous. Yeah, they're capable. And again, you know, these two games back-to-back nights, you want to play well because you want to get up confidence because you get a week off and then you got the Avalanche coming to town. And as you mentioned, Colorado Avalanche over the last month and a half, the hottest team in the National Hockey League. Nobody at this point in time anyways wants to see that team in the postseason because they've got to be one of the odds-on favorites to win the Stanley Cup, no question about it. Um, Listen, real quick, we'll move on. I don't want to spend a ton of time on UNLV basketball because there's so much more to talk about. About right now, but we definitely need to talk about this. Spencer, I'll let you get involved. Both you and uh, you and Mags are our alumni of UNLV. You watch this team. We want to see Kevin Kruger building a new culture. We all like the hire at this point in time. We thought it was decent with the melee last year with Otzelberger going to Iowa State. You got, you know, Desiree Reed Francois bouncing to Missouri. So everything kind of up in the air. And we all felt Kevin Kruger was something good for this team right now. And I'll say this to both of you guys, 13 and 10. I don't think anyone expected much more than that. I think five and five in the mountain West conference, middle of the road. And I said this year, a middle of the road finish for the, 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 you know, for UNLV would be a good season. The problem is guys. And, and Spencer will start with you on this. And it's a big problem. It is what lies directly in front of them, which is the remaining games left in this season. There are eight of them. And if you look, the next seven games are all very losable basketball games, especially after what we just saw against Utah State yesterday, a 15-point blowout. It looked worse than their, excuse me, a, um, yeah, 15-point blowout, 25-point blowout. No, 15-point blowout. But it looked worse than that. Um, uh, 20 point, anyways, 90 to 75. Let me do my math. But the point is, it looked worse. And 
really surprising considering this team went into Colorado State a week ago Friday and beat Colorado State without looking back. Again, Bryce Hamilton having a career game that game. But then they've come home. They host the rival, Nevada Reno. They also beat them by double digits. So you expected Utah State who is not the same Utah State the team that we've seen the last couple of years. I mean, Mike Smith does a great job up there, but they, you know, UNLV goes there and just gets blown out in spite of the fact Bryce Hamilton has 33 points. UNLV, they, they've got Air Force coming up on Tuesday night, which I think is the most important game of the season for this team. Um, they're very hard to, to, to beat this team, but they did lose once, so... You think that's a winnable game at home, but then they go to Boise, Fresno, Colorado State's probably not getting swept by them coming into the Thomas and Mac. Then they've got to go to Reno, then Boise at home, then Wyoming at home, and ending against New Mexico, which to me is the next winnable game after Air Force or a game that we should they should win. But if they lose like six games in a row, they could be reeling and lose that New Mexico game, go into the tournament in a buy-in game and end up losing in one round. What do you think? of this UNLV team and especially what lies ahead. Well, I'll tell you something even more concerning about who's on the schedule. And, I, and I'm really thinking about this. People still don't care about the UNLV basketball program. We can pack T-Mobile Arena for an all-star game. You know, we can pack any stadium, but it, it seems like we can't get people to go to UNLV games, which is really sad because this is a decent basketball team. And the, the as an alumni, at least I can tell you, like, the most personal thing I've ever gotten is a text message to go to the basketball games. That's their top line of getting people excited just to, like, basically a beg to say, come down and, and come watch the game. I have a feeling if this team was ranked, we still wouldn't pack the Mac. So they, they have a lot of so issues. So it's not just the fa- it's not the vaccination thing that's keeping people out of the Mac? I, can, I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, I'm teasing. Their Spencer. marketing strategies are, are actually very sad to me, I, and I don't I don't appreciate them as, a, as an alumni. I wish people cared about it because – that can build a program when kids, because UNLV could easily be on TV. If this was a good team, we'd want to because every, like any time from the 80s, like a team that's popular, think about like the Raiders, like, and all these other teams are in the Cowboys. They haven't won since the 80s. People still love those teams. So they look back at those times and, you know, Las Vegas is no different when it comes to the running Rebels. They could have used this season to really start building that. And every single coach that comes into the, the UNLV program, the first thing they say, win a pack the Mac. I mean, obviously, no one's been able to do that. No one's been able to even improve the situation in the past, like, 15 years. I mean, yeah, obviously, you want to look ahead to the schedule. But for me, that's the biggest issue with this team right now, outside of talent and anything else. No, you know, I, I, we've all said it. Chris is going to echo your sentiments that, you know, it's college basketball. I understand that UNLV, a lot of people, the biggest complaint talking to Caleb Herring is it isn't like your typical college environment no. because of the way the campus is. It just doesn't feel like a college environment. But but the Thomas and Mac to me is still one of the most beautiful facilities in the country. And and Chris, the biggest issue to me is this team, it's not about the past culture. The the 91, 90 and 91 UNLV team almost seems like a myth, like a dream now. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't for the statue of Tark outside of the Thomas and Mac with the towel in his mouth, it's almost like it didn't exist anymore. You know, people say we need to reestablish and build the culture, you know, rebuild the culture. I think they just need to build the culture. I don't even think there is one anymore. And um, but but Chris, I'll ask you. Uh, real quickly, 60 seconds, what is the floor and what is the ceiling of this UNLTV team, in your opinion? Well, Brian, I, I think, unfortunately, they're they're bang average. Uh, this team goes, as Bryce Hamilton 
goes. He He's obviously their best player. The problem is, on nights like yesterday, they don't have a second option. I mean, you look at the box score, and you look at the guys who've played for them. I understand Donovan Williams missed the game. Uh, he's, he's missed quite a few lately. But Jordan McCabe was second on the team with 13 points. And then you had Justin Webster with 10. After that, you really got nothing. I mean, I I think, unfortunately, Royce Ham. I'm going to say, has kind of been a, di- a big disappointment. You know, he had that dominant first game against Gardner-Webb, and you're like, hey, you know what? They have a presence in the paint. They've got a guy who's going to get double-doubles every night. That's not the case. And and look, I understand it's 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 a lot to ask of a kid coming in first year, a bunch of transfers, but... I think he kind of set the bar really high in that first game, and I think, unfortunately, he, he hasn't really followed him up too many times since. I, I am going to push back a little bit on something Spencer said because UNLV, new athletic director, this is a guy who's been around the program for, for a while. He's trying. They had the, there, there were more students at that Reno game than there were fans in attendance at that game. They're doing a promotion with Nike where they're giving away customized shoes to, 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 to some fans. They gave away free raising canes to all the students before that game. Hey, look, I was a broke college student once. You mean to tell me I get a free ticket to a game and I get fed for free? And look, and I, I'm a big raising canes fan. My son had it for dinner last night, and of course I'm stealing some of his fries. So I, it's going to take time, but the ultimate, I'm going to say, thing that gives you the juice People need wins. People may show up for free raising canes against Reno because it's Reno and we hate that school and that's understandable. But will will they show up to a 13 and 10 team against Fresno? Probably not. You're going to need to inject a little more life into that. The ultimate is wins and losses. And if Kevin Kruger hovers around 500, I don't care what kind of promotions you do to get fans in the building, people aren't going to show up. It's just a fact of life. The Golden Knights are going to go through it at some point where they hit that wall and they're more like the Ottawa Senators, hopefully not, maybe maybe more like the New Jersey Devils or, or a middle-of-the-road team where fans are showing up for the good teams, but they're not showing up when you're playing the bad teams. Apathy is a terrible, terrible thing. And the best way to erase apathy is to win. Can't, cannot argue with that. Uh, the bottom line is winning definitely gets interest. It creates interest. And that's something UNLV has not been able to do on any kind of a consistent basis for a long, long time now. Uh, probably since our current coach's father was the coach of UNLV. It was the last time it was exciting and this team uh, made some noise in the NCAA tournament and got a sweet 16 appearance. Uh, I think that's what people need to re to, to re-excite everybody. And I, I don't know when that's coming, um, but, you know, Kevin Kruger will get a, get a pass this year. He has to, you know, and and, uh, and we'll see what he does with the players that he builds and recruits in the future. It'll be interesting to see. I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for um, this team to develop their own culture and UNLV to be a place where people want to come and play basketball again. But uh, a lot has to happen between now and when that time comes. Back this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. It is a fact in the aftermath uh, 
after the 2021 NFL season concluded, there were nine head coaching vacancies. As of this morning, there are four remaining. And among the 28 teams with coaches in place, there is now only one black head coach in the National Football League, and that's Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a problem. And be it the right way or the wrong way, this was once again brought to the forefront by Miami Dolphins recently fired head coach Brian Flores, who departed with an above 500 record and last week filed racial discrimination lawsuits against the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, and the Denver Broncos. And based on the remaining vacancies, which really is three, as the Vikings will be announcing the hiring of Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell real soon, I'm not sure we will see another black head coach start the 2000 and 22 season and i'm going to tell you why right now if you look at the coaching vacancies as i said the vikings are going to be taken care of they're pretty much done you've got the dolphins they wrapped up their last interview yesterday with cowboys offensive coordinator kellen moore friday they spent all day with 49ers offensive coordinator mike mcdaniel mcdaniel and they they said there's no more interviews and those guys are apparently the two finalists. Then you've got the, the Houston Texans. Josh McCowan, which is a surprise to a lot of people, not to a lot of others. The players are backing him. Is considered to be the favorite for that position right now. And um, and also, I guess, the Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, is considered a finalist. Um, and he was interviewed as well for the Texans job. So it's one of those two guys. And then it's the Saints. The Saints' current defense coordinator, Dennis Allen, is considered to be the front runner. The players all want him. He's been there. He's coached under Sean Payton, and it doesn't change the culture of that team. The Lions defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, who's a former assistant coach in the Saints, and uh, Case, you know, Kansas City's offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who's been on everybody's, you know, everybody's uh, supposedly watch list. He's getting interviewed today. But again, it looks like Dennis Allen will get the job. We know Byron Leftwich more or less turned down the Jacksonville job. But again, based on that, Spencer, we might go into this season 32 NFL teams with only one black head coach in the National Football League. That's a problem. Well, it's it's the it's it's more than just the optics. I mean, when he filed that lawsuit, the NFL made a statement like two hours later saying all of his claims are without merit. Well, without merit, there's only one black head coach in the NFL and He's been there forever, and he's you know he's gonna go in the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame level coach. So when you see these guys and you know the Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick text he had uh, with Brian Flores between the two of them basically said you know it's a joke that they were just had to interview him because that was a part of the process. So the obviously like you can know that there's something going on on some level now. Whether or not they can prove that in a court of law is a completely different story. But you know just for the context of it, me and you looking at it, that's. Considering how many players on the NFL are you know, African American, there's like no like apparently there's no way for them to be able to make that transition to the head coaching job. It just doesn't make sense to me. No, it's, you know it's a surprise, and of course the, the statement you mentioned, Roger Goodell basically retracted the initial st uh, statement and basically said the league's diversity efforts when it comes to coaching is unacceptable. And you know you, Brian Flores's attorneys came out and said basically that's a marketing ploy for the uh, the NFL. Nobody liked it, nobody believed it, especially because it, you know it comes on the heels of them saying that it basically. The, the,
isn't a problem. Um, it is a problem. It's clearly a problem. The question is, Chris, your opinion. Did Brian Flores martyr himself for the greater good? Because, you know, I don't want I, I think Colin Kaepernick and Brian Flores are two completely different stories. But in the same respect, Colin Kaepernick martyred himself. And did we just see Brian, Brian Flores do that? Because in my opinion, I think this will hurt his chances of becoming a head coach in the National Football League. Now, you know, one of the things we heard from Miami, and, and, and it's clear, the players, the organization, he was a tough guy to get along with. He was one game over 500 in his tenure, Chris. But, you know, you have to take that into consideration. If the players and the you know upper management are having trouble getting along with the guy, even though he's a little bit successful, that may be part of the reason to get rid of him as well. But the, the main thing is... This, to me, yes, it brought to the forefront something that needs to be addressed, needs to be taken seriously. And I'm not saying that here to be politically correct. I feel that in my heart and in my gut and in my soul. But in the same respect, when somebody does this, it creates media hoopla, media attention. Good or bad, typically teams don't want that. Like you said about UNLV basketball, they want wins. When you have a media circus around you for whatever reason, that is a distraction. Distraction usually does not amount to wins. What do you think, Chris? Did he martyr himself? Well, I don't know if that was his intent, um, but it, it certainly, you know, generally when you become a martyr, there's some good that, that comes out of it, um, at least, you know, depending on which perspective you're looking at it from. But I, I will say this. You, you mentioned he was one game over 500. The last two seasons, he was 19 and four, 19 and 14. So five games over 500 the last two seasons. There was marketed improvement with this team. And what, 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 what he's doing it, it with is the fact that he did not have a quarterback. He was forced to take Tua and play Tua, who, if you, if you ask me, is not going to be a good NFL quarterback. He's not Justin Herbert. He's definitely not uh, Joe Burrow. Um, so, so he's already way behind the eight ball because he probably got the third or fourth best quarterback in that draft. Um, you know, then you have the the aspect of him saying that that Stephen Ross, the owner, offered to pay him money to lose games on purpose. The other aspect of this is, I was shocked. When Brian Flores was fired, because he was a guy who I looked at as as a quality head coach in the NFL. He was doing good with really a pile of crap, because when you look at the Miami Dolphins, remember, they were tanking that first year. They traded away all their good players his first season there. So if you're going to say, well, he wasn't a great head coach. Look at what that team did to him his first season there where they traded everything away so they could tank to draft Tua. Here, here's, the, here's the part that bothers me the most. The NFL could put all the slogans on the field that they want. They could put all the stickers on helmets that they want about racism and, and, and taking a stand against racism in a league that's 70% African-American the fact that there is only one black head coach who, by the way, won the damn Super Bowl is 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 it's it just doesn't add up. The fact that you and, and you could compare it to the NBA. Look at how many black head coaches there are in the NBA 
in contrast with how many black players there are in the NBA. I mean, it's it's I I I don't know if the Rooney rule is good or bad. I'm not smart enough to to really dive into that. I do think there's something wrong with being required to interview a player just based on his color because it seems very token. It, it seems like it's just a, 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 a gesture. The reality is there should be more black coaches hired in the NFL because there have been some really good black head coaches. I mean, I think Byron Leftwich is a coordinator who a lot of people are looking at saying, yeah, you know what, he's going to be a good head coach. Raheem Morris, he was with Tampa Bay. They stunk. They didn't have a quarterback. So sometimes it's not so much. The the, the biggest issue with this is you look at guys like Adam Gaze who were horrific head coaches in their tenure, and they get a second opportunity. The biggest issue is there's a lot of black head coaches that, and you look at the statistics, they're fired quicker. They're not given that second opportunity. Look at some of the buffoons that are going to be hired this coaching cycle. And you could just look at the list and be like, Texans, nope, not going to be successful. Not because the head coach, but because the organization sucks. The Miami Dolphins are an organization that sucks. I'm sorry. The days of Don Shula and Dan Marino are long gone. They're not walking through the door. The the ownership is terrible. They play in a horrific stadium. They have no fan support. And they fired the only good aspect about that team to go out and hire a bum. I'm sorry. You should not have fired Brian Flores to hire a bum. Because you know what? At the end of the day, the Dolphins are going to be the same exact team three years from now that they are today. And maybe with Brian Flores, you would have had a chance to be a little bit better. But it's crap. It's crap. Let's stop with this. These stickers on helmets. Actions speak louder than words. And it's time for the NFL to show some cojones and have some action and hire more black head coaches. It's ridiculous, Brian. Yeah, you know, Chris, I, you know, that's what, why we had the segment is I, I agree with you. I think it is something that really needs to come to the forefront. I hope Brian Flores didn't martyr himself because I agree with you 100%. I think he is a good head coach, and I thought he was a good fit in Miami. I was also surprised when he got fired. But again, you know, I did read the last couple of years that, you know, there was personnel problems. Obviously, you know, you know granted, I'm not going to say Tua Tagovailoa is a, is a, is a NFL coordinator quarterback are going to be a good one. I'm not sure yet. I tend to agree with you. It doesn't look like he is, but again, he was the quarterback there and he had clearly had problems with Brian Flores and that didn't help this team that did make a, make a run at the playoffs at least this year. But you're right. I think they take a step backwards Um, real quickly. I want to leave the subject and talk about the, the championship games of last week. I just wanted to say that, you know, Doug Peterson hiring the Jacksonville Jaguars to me, the best coach hired in the offseason, the best hire for his team, because Doug Peterson, a former Super Bowl champion, and this guy is known to be a quarterback guru. Again, Carson Wentz only looked good one season, and it was under his tutelage. And under his tutelage, um, Nick Foles rejuvenated his career for a season in that postseason run and won a Super Bowl. And I think going to Jacksonville right now is they need desperately a guy who can coach 
coach quarterbacks because Trevor Lawrence looked completely out of sorts last year. Urban Meyer did absolutely nothing for that kid, and he needs somebody to go in there with a focus on him because he is the franchise of the Jacksonville Jaguar in their future as of right now. So great hire by Jacksonville. No qualms there. And again, Byron Leftwich did pass up that job because it was offered to him initially real quickly guys i got to tell you the last two weeks of football man i have been in nfl heaven the 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 divisional playoffs the best i've ever seen in my lifetime four games all going down to the wire and then i thought for sure we're gonna have letdowns i said it last week i just can't imagine two good games again and yet two games that again came down right to the wire um both of them a little bit of surprise. I, I don't think the Rams winning was a surprise. I think the way they won was a surprise. And the Cincinnati Bengals, you want to say they're a team of destiny, but I just can't get it off my tongue because look at this team. They're like the walking wounded. You know, um, Uzoma probably is is going to play. I mean, how well can you be with a sprained MCL two weeks? It's usually a six to seven week turnaround, and they're trying to get it done in two with all kinds of therapy, using electrotherapy, who knows? And on the other side, Higby, both tight ends. I don't think Higby's going to play. I'm telling you right now, if, you get, if you're one of those fantasy leagues like I am, stay away from Tyler Higby. If he plays, it's going to be just for show. That guy's knee is in bad shape. But the Bengals are like the walking wounded. One of their offensive guards is hurt. I guess he's going to play. But you are talking about the third worst offensive line in football statistically this season going up against arguably the best the best edge rusher in the game. A lot of people want to keep saying Aaron Donald's the best player in the game. You're going up against him. So you've got the current NFL MVP defensively anyways for sure. A former six years ago NFL MVP in Vaughn Miller, who's also a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, the bottom line is if Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times again, like he did against Tennessee, granted, he didn't get, wasn't under the same duress against Kansas City, but Kansas City doesn't have a front four like Tennessee and definitely doesn't have a defense like the Los Angeles Rams. He gets sacked nine times in this game, Spencer. Let me tell you something. He's not going to not only not win this game, he's going to be spending time in an L.A. hospital. Well, he's not going to be. I know you have you had your concerns this playoffs, but he won't be playing opposite of Ryan Tannehill. And so when you take nine sacks, you know, a lot of that got making up from three interceptions to Ryan Tannehill. Like Matthew Stafford, for whatever he is, he's not going to make he's not going to play that bad in the Super Bowl. At least I don't think so. The games are won in the trenches and defense wins championships. And when you look at both those elements, if they both ring true, Chris, I'll let you finish with this one. But if the games are won and lost in the trenches, defense wins championships, it's L.A. Rams all day long, right? You would, you would think, think. Um, you know, but I've, I've been riding the Bengals all postseason. I'm not going to stop that now. They look like they might be a team of destiny. It sounds crazy. Two years ago, they were the worst team in the NFL. Here they are, one win from winning a championship. It's all because of one guy, Joe Burrow. Look, I, I I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna say that the Rams are gonna win this game. I think Cincinnati somehow will find a way. Everything seems to be aligning for them, man. It does, and, and uh, I, I think the Rams and four and a half points are enough, in my opinion. I think defense is really going to stand up, and a lot of duress on Joe Burrow. I mean, the bottom line is Joe Mixon's going to have to run the football for this team to win. We're out of time. Last thing, Spencer didn't get to do aces up, but Liv, Liz Campage is verbally committed to play next season with the L.A. Sparks. Four-time WNBA All-Star. I'm saying she will be missed. A lot of people. 